Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Sharon Lever. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by senior analyst Anjali Lai to discuss the future of the empowered customer. Welcome, Anjali. Thanks so much. So Anjali, what are the dynamics at play with empowered customers, the trends, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, so there are, you know, five key dimensions of customer empowerment. We can probably start there, um, which is really defining empowerment in terms of how we talk about it here at Forrester and how we have been talking about it for, you know, several years now. Um, so the the five sort of uh, fundamental dimensions of empowerment that we've landed on um, are, first of all, willingness to experiment, right? The fact that um, consumers are becoming more comfortable um, taking risks with new brands, products, experiences, um, and are not only uh, used to seeing new products on the shelves, but are actually beginning to demand that sense of novelty from their experiences and across brand options. Um, The second one is device usage, um, which refers to the fact that consumers are relying on their personal devices to get things done. You know, we don't have to look too far to see that that's the case. We probably all experience it in our own lives as well. Um, But this is an important one because it sort of leads to the third dimension of empowerment, which we call digital physical integration which is essentially that consumers use their devices to interact with their physical environment and that the gap between the digital world and the physical world is uh, narrowing in the consumer's uh, perspective. The fourth change is information savviness, which refers not only to the fact that consumers are consuming more information than in the past, um, but that they're also developing the skill set to navigate that information and uh, be discerning about um, what they're reading online and find valuable um, pieces of data that they then use to make decisions about brands or products uh, that they choose to um, partner with. And then the fifth and final dimension is what we call self-efficacy, which is essentially the deep uh, motivation that consumers have to be in control of their experiences, Um, of their choices. Um, This is the fact that consumers want to know that they have purchased from the best possible brand available to them and receive that validation that they've made the right choice. So these are the five sort of components, if you will, of uh, consumer empowerment. Um, And we landed on these five because we noticed from our data over years that consumers are changing in these five ways Um, consistently. So they've changed in these ways in the past, they are continuing to change today, and consumers will continue to change in these ways in the future. So that's a really good jumping off point then to talk about what's new. I mean, you did introduce this framework years ago at this point. It's proven to stand the test of time, which is amazing. But I have to believe there's some pretty poignant changes that you've seen. What are the most recent ones um, that we all should be aware of for what's going on with consumers today among these five areas? Yeah, well, it's such an interesting question, um, honestly, because, you know, I, I too sort of 
you know, looked at the research again with this assumption that people have changed. I mean, the world has changed so much, let alone, you know, because of the pandemic. But, um, you know, the brands that are available to consumers, the way that consumers can get value from companies, can share with other peers, um, you know, all of those things have completely transformed. And so, um, this year, we sort of revisited that research with the intention of finding some kind of update to these five dimensions of empowerment that I just talked about. Um, and really, the most surprising insight right off the bat is that um, consumers haven't necessarily uh, um, sort of diverged from these five modes of change. So they are continuing to change in these five ways. And the data shows that, um, you know, even in the past few years, we've seen uh, consumers continue to become more willing to experiment, more reliant on technology, have higher expectations for digital seamlessness, become smarter when navigating online information and um, have a greater desire to be in control of their choices. So what that led us to then look at was um, that, you know, the ways in which consumers are changing aren't actually changing. But the combination of these five dimensions has led to some new themes or trends um, that are emerging. Um, so for example, one of the uh, interesting things that we've seen, um, you know, sort of that was kind of a burgeoning trend a few years ago, but that's become uh, more overt now is this idea that, you know, consumers aren't really satisfied with um, a, a self-centered experience, like a, a brand that creates an experience, um, you know, specifically for the consumer, entirely personalized to the consumer um, that's focused on that individual kind of relationship or individual kind of experience. Instead, consumers are now also looking for brands to play a role in the consumer's uh, broader community or sometimes literally in the consumer's physical, you know, geographic community. Um, consumers are becoming more sensitive to how brands are serving um, the other uh, sort of entities that, uh, you know, make up the customer's life, not just are necessarily fulfilling a need in a particular moment. So that, you know, is a result of perhaps consumers, you know, interest in novelty, right, that they're looking for brands to do something new, to do something more than they've been known to do in the past. Um, it's a function of the fact that consumers, you know, the information savviness piece, consumers now have more insight into how companies are making decisions and what they're doing and what their, you know, um, practices are beyond sort of the, the product, um, uh, you know, manufacturing and delivery um, it has a lot to do with that self-efficacy piece, right? Consumers want to have a sense of, you know, meaning or find that sense of purpose through the purchases that they're making. So because of these five um, dimensions of change, consumers um, have new expectations that they're bringing to brands. And, and that's, you know, one example um, of those um, emerging themes that we're seeing. Is there one dimension that change the most? Is there like a, a leading one or two where it's like, oh, you've seen like a huge change or jump in um, how consumers are behaving? Or is it to your point, the collection of all five sort of changing at the same time that's sort of showcasing some of these themes that you've uncovered? So there's always uh, variety. There's always a little bit of variation. Um, in the sense that we are all changing in these five ways. But of course, 
we each uh, will be changing along different dimensions at different rates. Um, and that's why we have built the empowered customer segmentation from these five dimensions to quantify how rapidly consumers are evolving along these five sort of spokes of the wheel, if you were to visualize it and what that means. So um, if you're familiar with the empowered customer segmentation, you have the progressive pioneer segment sort of on one end of the spectrum that is in fact evolving along all five dimensions uh, most rapidly. Um, but then, you know, that's a very different group from the convenience conformer, which sits as sort of the third of the five segments that is evolving along dimensions like device usage and digital and physical integration incredibly quickly, but they're slower to evolve along the dimensions of willingness to experiment, for example. So even though they are gravitating towards digital experiences um, that, you know, sort of simplify their life or provide some sort of ease to their uh, transactions, they don't necessarily need that kind of novelty or experimentation infused in the experience like the progressive pioneer might. Um, they're also slower to evolve along that sort of self-efficacy uh, and information savviness dimension, which means that they're not willing to put in as much time and effort to research new products or emerging digital solutions that could potentially be a better option. Unlike progressive pioneers that are very much, you know, tuned into uh, news about an emerging sort of, you know, option. Um, and then if you move to the other end of the spectrum, uh, we have the, the settled survivor and the reserve resistor profiles, which are moving along all of the dimensions most slowly, which means that, of course, their behavior will change to a certain degree, but it's not um, because they're necessarily trying to be a front runner or they are gravitating to experiences that promise to offer more value. It's usually a behavior change um, that reflects the fact that they have to change, right? It's their bank, you know, formally ending, you know, paper uh, billing and converting to digital only, or it's the network effect that's uh, causing these consumers to change their behavior. So the segments can help kind of categorize which pockets of the population are evolving along which dimensions most quickly. And to your point, they don't evolve in the same pattern, it sounds like. It's not like all consumers will ultimately behave the way that progressive pioneers do today. Is that... Uh, correct in the right way to think about it. It's probably just not that simple, unfortunately, as much as we'd want it to be. Yeah, it's it's a, it's exactly correct, and it's so um, you know it, it makes for really rich research, which is why I think you mentioned we launched the the original report several years ago. But it's still so relevant because um, the the pattern of movement is is so interesting. So generally speaking, consumers are moving from the less empowered groups into the more empowered groups. So from the you know reserved resistors, they might jump to convenience conformers. Some savvy seekers, which is like the second group in the in the scale, will move into the progressive pioneer category. So really, everyone is moving in one direction, and it's towards a higher level of empowerment. However, exactly to your point, there isn't necessarily a sequence or predictable um, you know rate of uh, consumers jumping from one. Um, segment to the next. So what we've found most recently is that once consumers reach that convenience conformer category, right, that's the category 
of consumer that is looking for the digital seamless experience, um, they tend to stay there. That's that category is growing much, much faster um, while the less empowered groups are shrinking. And then while consumers might move up into the progressive pioneer category, you know, once they reach that level, they sort of stay there. They never really slip back into the savvy seekers. Um, and so, you know, what that tells us is that maybe if we were to project this, you know, five or 10 years into the future, progressive pioneers and convenience conformers become the two dominant profiles that we see. Um, and of those two convenience conformers more dominant than, than progressive pioneers. Um, and that just means that, you know, these consumers are fueled by very distinct sort of motivations and the reasons that explain why they grab for new technologies are very different. Um, so, you know, but, and, and there's not really an overlap between those two profiles. So for a brand to try and figure out, right, which sort of consumer groups are bigger among its own customer base, they can then understand, you know, what does that mean for acquisition? What does that mean for, you know, retention? You know, what does that mean about the consumer's motivation and appetite to engage in new sort of um, innovations that, you know, are on the back burner, you know, or, or in the works uh, within the company. Which is important because as much as we've talked about personalization and hyper-personalization over so many years, that's just hard to pull off for brands and, and, and may backfire as we've talked about in previous episodes of this podcast. So those segments feel really powerful to me as a brand to be able to, and to your point, Anjali, that sounds like a an important point too, that those two segments in particular, if you've got a strong base in those two segments, I mean, you can, you can really kind of bank on that, it sounds like, because they're not going to move quite as fast. Um, and it's truly a cohort with some very specific preferences, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And to, to the point around um, personalization, you know, if you get to this level of insight, so you categorize your customers according to these segments, you can also figure out um, which customers are going to respond to your personalization efforts, um, you know, most, you know, dramatically. So, you know, for example, what I mean is that our progressive pioneers we've seen in the data have the highest demand for personalization um, in, you know, all meanings of the term. So they are looking for brands to know, know them by name, right? Address them by name, know their likes and their preferences, know their household status, know, you know, what they like to do for fun, offer sort of adjacent um, uh, experiences that can enhance their overall lifestyle. That's the kind of thing that the progressive pioneer is looking for. Convenience conformers, as you might have you know, gleaned from the conversation so far, aren't really expecting that in the first place, nor are they going to put in the time and effort, again, to look for that kind of thing from their brand. And so you, know, you can then direct your personalization efforts into the right you know, customer groups um, according to you know, what customers are really looking for, what those customer expectations are. Um, progressive pioneers are also more likely to pay up for a personalized experience, you know, more so than the convenience conformer is. Um, so, you know, you can sort of make some uh, real sort of data-driven business decisions when looking at the, the business value investing in these different segments. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, understanding your consumer and consumer expectations today, but then also given this rich data and sort of the signals that you're sort of 
um, looking at where where these you know segments are going. Like, what is what is next for some of these behaviors that brands should be thinking about to either anticipate that from you know um, certain segments or in just pre- prepare for for what's to come. Yeah, so so this is a, a great question um, because again, it's the the biggest learning is that you know what's to come will be a function of um, how consumers are um, continuing to evolve in, in these five ways. So, um, for example, one of the um, uh, big sort of perhaps even surprising insights that um, I discovered in the data recently is that you know for for most of, you know, sort of the evolution of customer experience up until today, this idea of, you know, giving consumers um, some sense of choice or variety is a good thing, right? And, and we know that customers want that. 39% of consumers in the U.S. want to see brands um, sort of offer them you know, different options and then also curate products for them, right? Play, play a role in kind of showing them what is uh, to go back to the idea of personalization, right? What is personalized for their particular interests? But what we're starting to see now is that um, the most empowered consumers are becoming aware of and sensitive to um, a limitation to uh, that level of brand curation. Um, and, and they're looking for um, this balance between having choice but specifically also having the freedom to look for other choices beyond what might be presented to them. Um, So there was an interesting data point that came out of our recent research that um, 20% of U.S. consumers uh, dislike the fact that personalized experiences make them feel like they're not in control or that a, a brand's curated version of a personalized experience limits consumers' freedom of choice. Um, and 30% of the, the relatively more empowered consumers agree with that. Um, so that's interesting because it means that um, consumers are now looking for brands to give them, you know, what we're calling is sort of the nobility of choice so that they feel in control. Um, so, you know, that might be, for example, giving them the uh, nobility to opt into or opt out of experiences, right? Give them the um, uh, efficacy to choose the kind of experience they want to have when engaging with the brand or when watching, you know, a particular uh, show and, you know, you're, you're sort of choosing the ads that you uh, would like to see. That sort of thing is becoming much more important to and valuable to, to empowered customers um, that we hadn't really expected would be the case before. So all of that is to say that this idea of being in control is important and always has been, but the ways in which consumers feel that that need is satisfied um, may be different. Anjali, can you also talk about, you hinted at this earlier, um, I think you said that the um, these empowered consumers are, are maybe looking for less self-centered experiences, if you will. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I have to believe that's that's connected into a lot of the research you're done, you've done around values-based um, brands and so forth. Is that a blip, you know, a trend we're seeing now that will go away? Or do you feel like this is yet another one of those um, dimensions that folks are traveling in and it's only going to get stronger? 
Yeah. So my opinion on this, which of course is a data rooted opinion, <laughs> um, is that this this is not a blip. Um, this is something that we have seen begin to emerge in the data. Um, you know, as early as um, I would say seven years ago or so, six or seven years ago, when we first started talking about this idea of the values-based consumer. Um, what's different now is that we're seeing that, the, again, the most empowered consumers are um, demanding that brands fulfill some of their higher order needs, some of their emotional needs, um, beyond just sort of the functional needs. Um, and this comes from the fact that, you know, our data shows that um, the, the most empowered consumers are saying that they um, are, you know, sort of the, the loneliest. Um, 56% of progressive pioneers say that they often feel lonely. This is in the U.S. compared to 31% of U.S. online adults overall. Um, and at this point in time, these empowered consumers are also uh, thinking more about some of the um, you know, social issues, environmental issues, political issues um, in, you know, the world around them and sort of how they can play a role. So 71% of progressive pioneers are saying that they're thinking about the climate more, you know, close to seven in 10 progressive pioneers are thinking about how they can help their community more. And this um, sort of social consciousness um, is translating into brand uh, choice for these empowered consumers. Um, so, you know, over six in 10 progressive pioneers in the U.S. are saying that now they want to go out of their way to find brands that help their local community or um, over half are looking for brands that offer environmentally friendly products or that treat their employees um, well. So, you know, the way that I see it is the the certainly the COVID-19 pandemic, but also some of the changes in um, the empowered customers, you know, pattern of behavior over the past few years has accelerated this desire for values-based purchases that we saw the seeds of, you know, many, many years ago. Now it's just really kind of, you know, powering to the forefront of their um, buying decisions um, and is starting to put much more pressure on businesses to take this um, seriously. So because of the sort of, um, you know, length of time that this trend has been building and the momentum behind it now and the the fact that it's, uh, you know, might have been started by the empowered customer um, and is fueled by the empowered customer, but is certainly now bleeding into the, you know, employee um, experience and to other, you know, business sort of partners and how they make decisions. You know, I think it's safe to say that this is not a, a, a blip, um, but it's something that will um, become really transformative, um, you know, years into the future. Anjali, do you have any examples of brands that you feel like really understand which segments they are serving and have tailored their experiences or their products or all of the above, or even their employee experiences to the wants and the desires of a particular segment, whether it's the convenience seekers or, or the progressive pioneers or what have you. Do you have examples of that? And what does that look like? How does it manifest? Yeah. So, um, you know, there are certain brands that tend to um, really, really play to their dominant segments. Um, and, you know, 
certainly if you're kind of knee deep in the in the data and you know these segments inside and out like I do, sometimes you can just look at a brand or an experience and sort of know intuitively which segment they're trying to you know capture. Um, uh, so Spotify is an example of a brand uh, that has such a, I would say, quintessentially progressive pioneer experience. And in fact, the majority, it's something like seven in 10 of their um, subscribers are uh, progressive pioneers. So things like the, uh, you know, release radar um, or the um, uh, discover weekly playlists are examples of Spotify developing um, or, uh, you know, building novelty into the experience that satisfies that progressive pioneers desire to experiment that we talked about. Um, of course, you know, the, the design, the functionality, um, the sort of digital experience, the, the nature of sort of the, the user experience is very much catered towards um, these, you know, highly, you know, tech savvy, sophisticated, progressive pioneers, um, the, you know, we wealth of sort of information, the ability to go in and create your own playlist or to search for artists, find deeper information, um, plays to that desire to, uh, for you know, information savviness, desire to be in control. So um, that's an example of one where it's such a sort of clear comparison between the, the customer segment and then the, um, the experience that's created. Um, there, there are some interesting examples where there's a very obvious kind of mismatch um, that might explain as well why elements of an experience don't take off. So um, the, the British uh, high street retailer, John Lewis, for example, um, had done this experiment several years ago with the magic mirror in the store where they had right, mirrors set up so customers could come in and sort of virtually try on different outfits, um, you know, take pictures of themselves in an instant and post it off to social media or send it to friends and get immediate feedback. It was marketed as a very kind of, um, you know, social sort of aspect of the in-store experience. Um, and it didn't make it beyond the, the, the trial you know, period. Um, when we look in the data and we do some deeper analysis, we'll find that the majority of John Lewis customers um, are convenience conformers. Um, and as we've talked about at length um, already, we know that these consumers are not necessarily delighted by the novelties like that. They're not looking for that social experience. Um, they're really sort of focused on uh, certainly that blend of digital and physical, but in a way that helps them, you know, uh, get what they need <laughs> quite, you know, efficiently or sort of help help to offload the, the effort and time uh, that's invested into the experience. And so perhaps if it were marketed differently, right, or um, uh, if it were sort of implemented differently, it may have been a successful um, sort of new kind of innovation for them. Um, but that's a the fairly clear example of how um, the brand intention doesn't match consumer motivation and therefore doesn't really you know, meet consumers' uh, emotional needs. How should I process the fact that, you know, progressive pioneers were think thinking of them as the most tech-savvy, advanced, and yet I think you have a piece of data that says, you know, they wish that they could disconnect more. They, they, they want to kind of pull back on tech usage. Uh, how... You know, I get that in theory, but how should we be thinking about that if if the assumption is they will always be sort of uh, growing across that, you know, tech savviness dimension? Yeah, I think the, the way to think about it is that, um, you know, consumers 
have a, a fairly sort of complex relationship with technology, right? And I think whenever we talk about um, uh, how consumers adopt technology and what the future trajectory looks like, there sometimes is this, is this assumption that consumers are going you know, 100% towards a digital world, a digital experience. Um, you know, it's kind of tempting to think about this I don't know, utopia or dystopia where everyone is just in their little tech bubble and, you know, doing everything on screens and you never have to talk to anyone again. Um, or there's the sort of other end of the spectrum, which is that, you know, uh, the digital detox has been glorified and we're all, you know, we've hit our threshold when it comes to using technology. We're tech saturated and we're just going to leave everything by the wayside and go, you know, live these peaceful, free, unencumbered lives. Um, and of course, you know, the, the reality is that neither one is going to be the case. There's always some uh, blend of um, what we consider to be technology, what we consider to be analog or the offline experience. What's happening now is that, especially today, because we are all, you know, mostly at home or, you know, relying on screens is really the lifeline to connect with friends and family, to get, you know, work done, to order products that we need. Um, we're facing, we are literally face-to-face -face with technology all the time. As a result of that, um, the most empowered consumers are becoming highly aware of what kinds of experiences they want to have um, using their personal devices and what kind of experiences they want to have without sort of the device, you know, as the mediator. Um, so that's something that's become much more, um, I think, acute or much more apparent uh, because of our, you know, screen time today. So, so even though progressive pioneers are using technology so much more, um, this sort of fatigue that you're talking about, this desire to disconnect from screens, um, to sort of be free from screens, isn't necessarily a fatigue or a hatred towards technology overall. It's the realization that technology doesn't fulfill all of the emotional needs that a customer has. And there are certain things that have to be done in an interpersonal or sort of non-tech mediated um, uh, environment. Um, so for instance, when it comes to, you know, having some sort of uh, social interaction or having, you know, some kind of relationship, um, that is something that consumers have realized cannot fully be replaced by the digital medium. Um, so I think it was 36% of U.S. online adults um, are saying now that, you know, social media, video calls, texting um, have not made them feel as connected with friends and family as they had hoped um, during, you know, during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, progressive pioneers, what's really interesting is um, as they come to this realization, they begin to sort of plan how they're going to move forward through, you know, the next phases of pandemic recovery um, by anticipating uh, both spending more time online and spending more time in um, like physical spaces. Um, it's just that the nature of those two experiences is going to become uh, very different because of the distinct value that each of those can provide to the customer. So given these new insights, Anjali, how are you guiding clients to, you know, take on this new information or um, even consider sort of what 
new products, services, or how they they go to market? Um, what is a couple takeaways that you would be you know sharing with CMOs today, given these dynamics? Well, the most important thing is to you know start by knowing where your customers fall along the spectrum of empowerment. Um, you know, we found that whenever we're revealing these insights to uh, to you know leaders at a variety of different kind of brands, you know sometimes um, their expectations are very much in line with what the data shows. In other cases, they're very different, um, and that could be because you know they might be thinking that they're catering to say the convenience conformer, but really they have more progressive pioneers in their customer set than they had realized, and there's more opportunity to engage consumers more deeply or in new ways. Um, so knowing where your customers stand, um, how empowered they are, how rapidly they're becoming empowered is the most important kind of foundational step. Then the question becomes, how do your current products and experiences um, and really you know, brand promises map to uh, consumer motivations according to this level of empowerment? And then where is their opportunity to uh, sort of, you know, play to these additional uh, needs um, along that customer journey? Um, so it is a very sort of, you know, practical, um, you know, data-driven uh, series of steps that leaders can take, um, which will uh, provide them with some, you know, uh, guidance and clarity, especially at a time like this when it seems like consumer behavior is um, highly unpredictable and capricious and you know conditions with the pandemic are changing, but rooting yourself, grounding yourself deeply in this kind of data will help to give some sort of clarity and, and organization to how and why consumers are making certain um, demands. Great, thanks for joining us today. Thanks Anjali, great to have you. Of course, thanks so much. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.